Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 219 is recorded live November 13th, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the white, dusty side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm now warm after being wet. <laughs> well, at least it's not hard yet. and also, Well, not really hard. Not really hard. And also joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? Hey, I'm as fine as a fly's eyelash. Excellent. I'd like to thank uh, everybody who came out in the chat room. We have St. Louis Sam. We had Jeff. Uh, I think guest three. That's probably you, Mac. And Might be. It could be. Maybe he's incognito. But I apologize last week for not having a show. I, I meant to have the show, and just with travel schedules and everything going on, we ended up calling it. So we'll make it up. I guarantee we'll have at least more than a few minutes of news and diving stories to talk about. Got some catching up to do. And this is, a, I think, there's a good uh, slate of articles. So let's jump right on into the news. First one up is Aqualung is expanding the recall of buoyancy compens- compensators. I want to say compensation. It's compensators due to drowning hazard. The product recall involves Aqualung buoyancy compensator vest with Sherlock 2 rubber handles attached to the weight pockets, including those with Sherlock handles that were replaced in the previous recall. Ouch! <laughs> that hurts when you have a, a recall of the repair that you did in the recall. It also includes all Apex Black Ice, Axiom, Axiom I3, Balance, Dimension, Libra, Lotus, Pearl, Pearl I3, Pro LT, Zuma models, a serial number lower than BB408620 that puts about 30,000 units from the United States in the recall, 11,300 in Canada, an additional 11. Uh, 110,000 that were previously recalled in March 2013. So that's about, uh, what does that come out to be? About 250, no, 150,000 units altogether. These were imported by Aqualum America out of Vista, California, manufactured in China and Mexico. The handles that you need to look for are gray rubber, measure about two inches tall, four inches wide, extend from the forward end of the ditchable weight pockets. Sherlock 2 handles were installed in most Aqualung and one model Apex buoyancy compensators, including all discontinued, and then we already talked about the models. Uh, The model name is embroidered in the back pad or on the right lobe. Sherlock is molded into the black, uh, into the back of the weight pocket. Serial numbers are located in the tag under the back pad of the buoyancy compensator inside the pocket. Earlier models could have number printed on the inside of the tag behind the hook and loop inflator hold down on the left shoulder. The risk is the handle can dislodge or detach as divers are trying to remove the weight pockets to rise the surface. This poses a drowning hazard because the weight stays in the BC. And where were they sold is pretty much every dive shop or sporting goods center that sells scuba gear. They retailed for between $460 and $700 for the compensator with the weight pockets. If you have details, you can call Aqualung at 855-355-7170, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., 
Pacific time, Monday through Friday, or you can visit them online at www.aqualung.com and uh, click on the recall notice, and they'll give you a little bit more information. But th- that seems like it covers just about every one of those. Now, Mac, I th- did you have one of these? I got the drill crawl on mine, and I'm just going to, just as a side note, and I understand the legalities that it has a potential, but in any accidental drowning I have ever heard of, have you ever seen the issue of they tried to dump their weights and they couldn't? No. None. Zero. No. My problem is I lose the damn things because the Velcro comes <laughs> on the bottom and pull the freaking weight path. You know? My problem is that I wear so much weight that it's easy. The, 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 the weights want to go down. So, but that that's kind of, uh, if you're, pro- I mean, I'm not going to say you shouldn't do the recall, but if you're properly weighted and uh, this is not what's going to do you in. Yeah. It's nice to fix it because there, is, you know, potential yeah. is there. But again, yeah. it's not generally something you hear about. Yeah. Well, now is there? I don't have this type of weight, but is it a best practice to have the weight evenly distributed on the two pockets? Uh, I, I'm out mine. I have pockets in the backpack now, uh-huh. so I put some back there so it's center mass with the tank. Yeah. And I just use my two drop weights in the pocket. Yeah. And I'm still going a little more heavy than I probably should, but yeah. well, uh, you're you're doing some river diving though. Well, yeah, yeah, really, I should be using you know if, if if it's a current issue, I should be using a creeper. I shouldn't be putting extra weight on. See, see, I but I'm I'm kind of like you. I like the extra weight in the river because on the creeper, it's like you still want to float up into the stream. I like having my hips kind of stuck to the bottom a little bit when it's when you got a good current going. Right, and, and generally when I'm overweighted, like 80 pounds or something, that's because you got surface air, and you're not depending upon that dive tank on your back. Right, yeah. So, but that's good. If you got the Aqua Lungs or any of those other brands, make sure you check that out and see if it's recalled. And even if you've had them fixed, they still may need to be taken care of and looked at. And, and then have them serviced. Now, probably your BC is one of your most neglected items for needing annual service, so take it in, have them check it out. Uh, because what well, I'm going to guess is that these just don't suddenly fail. They've probably worn out over time. Yeah. And then uh, the Costa Concordia shipwrecked, uh, and this is article's just a little over a week old, They, uh, as they were dismantling it in the wrecking yard, they found the last body missing of the Indian waiter. He was identified. Uh, he was the 32nd and last victim from the January 2012 Costa Concordia disaster. Russell Rubello. Uh, was found in the cabin in the wreck uh, and the Genoa shipyard. I still see the pictures of that, and it's freaking amazing. They were able to bring that up and tow it around. Yeah, that that's a I testament. I really didn't think they could do that, but they sure did. Well, it's it's amazing that the ship was built strong enough that it could handle all the torque and movement and everything that went on. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully someday they do a good uh, TV show that shows that whole process of salvaging that. I don't think I've seen well, anything good. yet. It's good they finally found them, so they have closure on all the people. Yeah. Well, and then imagine being the crew working on it. You, you're kind of like you know, every time you go around a turn, you know, is that an old rotten cantaloupe or is that a body? Yeah. And then uh, here's one for you. Dutch gang tried to use a James Bond-style scooter to smuggle cocaine worth 16 million pounds under the sea. The court hears four Dutchmen wanted for using a scuba bob, oh, they wanted to use a scuba bob water scooter to move 108 kilograms of the drug from the ship in Scotland. 
what it appears they did is that they uh, mounted the cocaine to the outside of the vessel and had plans to use the dive gear to recover it when it got in the, let's see, what group was that uh, who found them? Let's see. If it was in the U.S., I'd know who it is, but in the U.K., what do they call these guys? They call them police. <laughs> uh, let's see. So the individuals were Henry von Dosberg, Arden von Milt, Roderick von Dosberg, Daryl J. von Dosberg. And there's a there's kind of quite a variety. Uh, Henry was 68. Arnold was 49. Roderick was 23. And Daryl J. was 22. Sounds like a legal team. Dosberg, Dosberg, and Dosberg. Yeah. And they'll need a legal term. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're going to. A team. Yeah, the, uh, Paul Mitchell prosecuting told the jury the men were arrested by customs officers. That's what I was looking for. Found more than 50 packets of extremely high-purity cocaine in the rudder space of the Cape Maria vessel in the hunting, the hunter stun uh, near Largs, Ayrshire, on May 9th. The enormous amount of drugs had the potential street value of around 16.2 million pounds. Let's see. The uh, Mr. Mitchell said Van Milt, Roderick, and Daryl were arrested in Seamill the same evening. Henry was arrested in Alstermeer in the Netherlands the next day. Prosecutor said Van Milt, Roderick, and Daryl J. all had scuba diving experience and planned to access the drugs from the outside. The police searched their car and found an inflatable speedboat dry suits and other scuba equipment, and the sea bob. Describing the underwater journey of the nine, describing the underwater vehicle, oh, to the jury. Why do they do that? You might have seen them using a James Bond or James Bond adversaries, referring to the dive bob. It's the kind of thing you use if you need to travel underwater at high speed. Now, do you really, is that considered high speed? I mean, it's higher speed than if you're kicking. Faster than you can swim. Yeah. High speed. Well, you can have some of those new military DPVs. They'll do over 40 miles an hour. Well, those are the ones you have to have the permit for? Because they're so... I'm sorry, you have to have a permit for it, but I do know that you're going to have to have the pocketbook for it. Yeah. Well, then uh, here's another one. Hopefully you weren't trying to get a dive in when this event happened. We had Angelia Jolie, Brad Pitt, By the Sea, Malta Movie caused many scuba diving cancellations. The duo were filming scenes for the mysterious under upcoming movie titled By the Sea, a drama penned by Angelia herself, set in the 1970s, features Jolie and Pitt, starred as a married couple who need to mix things up a bit in their marriage. So, so they take to the seaside town to turn their union around. So there's a discussion going on. Let's see, what town is this? Hmm, did they say? It's a Daily Mail, so it can be anywhere, but I don't think so. It's a tropical city. Malta? Where's Malta? So were they uh, near Greece, isn't it? Greece, Malta. Yeah, I mean, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's one of the in the that general vicinity. So the the locals are trying to decide if you know the the loss of some short term tourism and and scuba diving is offset by the increased visibility from them being there and all the press along with the movie getting released. And then we have a study that shows the benefits of being fat, but not too fat. For deep diving, elephant seals. Uh, the elephant seals add to their fat stores, change their buoyancy, affects their swimming efficiency during deep dives in search of food. See, I'm vindicated. Researchers using a new type of tracking device on a female elephant seal discovered that adding body felt helps the seals dive more efficiently by changing their buoyancy. 
The study published November 5th in the Proceeds of the Royal Society B looked for swimming efficiency of elephant seals during the feeding dives and how it changed in the course of month-long migrations at sea as the seals put on more fat. The results showed that elephant seals are neutrally buoyant, meaning they don't float up or sink down in the water. They spend less energy swimming and are able to maximize the time spent feeding during dives. It's ideal to be neutrally buoyant, and when you move away from that in either direction, there's a cost. So elephant seals fast during their on-time shore, burning fat stored up during the months of the long sea. Female nursing pups can lose 30 to 40% of their body weight. When she heads back to sea, she's negatively buoyant, meaning she can sink in the deep water without swimming very hard. This makes it easy to get to great depths, which elephant seals feed routinely at 1,000 to 2,000 feet or more. But coming back up the surface takes a lot of effort. It's like a scuba diver wearing a weight belt getting down is easier if you have to swim hard to come back up. See, I'm just adding buoyancy. Yes. Did you skip the one on illegal lobsters? Uh, I think that was the one I couldn't get to. Let me uh, see if I can get that one to come up. Because they say lobsters, yet they're, then they say they're not lobsters. Let's see. Because they say local crayfish, and I thought, that's interesting. Let's see. Uh, pay dearly for illegal lobsters. Right, let me see if I can get this one to come up. I, for some reason, it wasn't coming up. Did you get it to come up? Yeah. I'm just going to I'll paraphrase it for you. And I'm not going to pronounce all the names because I'm terrible at that, worse than you. But it's Warren, Warren Numbel Bull. Warren Warren Bull? Anyway, it says it starts out with pay dearly for illegal lobsters. And this restaurant guy claims to have the local, the freshest local crayfish. And that's what confused me when they said lobster versus crayfish. And he was fined $6,000 and had all his scuba gear confiscated for fishing offenses. And he did plead guilty to five offenses, taking too many southern lobsters, possessing illegal snares, and attempting to obstruct uh, fishery officers. So he's convicted, fined $3,000, was $276 in costs. He lost his trailer, boat, scuba diving gear worth 10000 and his gear that he had to give them was six, so it cost him 16000 Yeah. But on one hand, they're calling them lobster, and then the other one, they're calling them crayfish. So I was a little well, curious. And did, and did you see, I, th- I think this is the one where they came, they, they had them recorded for one thing. You know, they recorded them, catching them, bringing them on the boat, and hiding them. So I think it would have been one thing if you just had, like, an extra one and you fessed up to it right away. But uh, they went and hid it. They hid two of them in life jackets. Uh, what was it? Did they say in there where they hid the other one? It was like they were allowed to, and they had four. And then I asked them how the fishing was, and he said, oh, well, we got a couple and showed them their catch bags. And then they're like, oh, really? And then, and then he went and searched the boat, went right to where they saw him store them and got them on it. Well, the catch limit is two crayfish and five abalone per diver. Yeah. So it does look like it. But they could have been hit with $40,000 in fines and two years imprisonment for the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're. I think they, they're going to feel like they got out pretty well. Now, they're not allowed to go fishing for another year, which I think that's even pretty generous. Try to remember what it is. Like if you do poaching and hunting up here, I think it's more than a year. And it's not just the state you're in. It's like all, all the states that belong to that anti-poaching program. Yeah, he, but I, I, you know, they, I think there's even more to it than what they're talking about. Because if you're advertising that you've got the freshest out there, you can't tell me he's only serving two lobsters a day out of his shop. Yeah. So I'm thinking that he had, you know, them and a bunch of other people were all supplying. I don't know what kind of regulations there are. I mean, do you have to prove the source of where your, your fish are coming from? I don't know. I know that if you walk into Red Lobster, they got that big aquarium full of, they got more than two in there. <laughs> if, if you just replace them as you use them, how would anybody know? It's it true. Okay, well, here's uh, 
Here's an opportunity for you if you're in Laramar County. They're looking for some new rescue divers. Whenever I see this, I, you kind of wonder what happened to the to the other ones. This is Colorado, isn't it? I I think so. I'm probably probably slaughtering the name like we we do with everything else. The uh, county dive rescue team will hold a, a boat-based dive rescue operations training on Saturday and welcome anyone interested in learning more about the team to attend. The training will take place at 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. starting at the team headquarters at 1303 North Shields and moving to the Horse Tooth Reservoir. The team is currently looking for people to experience in water rescue and dive rescue, commercial divers, military divers, rescue, recreational scuba divers, emergency medical technicians, paralytic. Paralytics? What's a para? <laughs> Easy for you to say. What's the what's the daily limit on paralytics? Uh-huh. Paramedics and law enforcement officers, others who are interested in helping people in the time of need. Uh, if you're interested, you can call five one two six zero eight five nine three seven or lcdrt.org. Let's see. That was a yeah. That's that's this weekend. If you happen to hear this before then. That's a big deal lately, though. You've seen that, that volunteers for anything, clubs, yeah. organizations that need volunteers, they're having a heck of a time getting people to volunteer because the newer breed is not necessarily interested in doing that. And the old guys, the older people, are dying. <laughs> it's true. Well, I I, I, belong, I belong to a bunch of groups, and that's the one thing. It's like every time you join a group, you kind of kind of wonder – you know, how long before they try and recruit you into some sort of position? I'm glad you brought that up, Darren. Oh, no. What's happening? <laughs> well, is elections. We have elections for the dive club. The Michigan Underwater Dive Club has their annual elections, which I have to say we had a we had a great president this year. Yeah, I was going to try to get Mayor Beth to, uh, I was going to canvas her and see if she's interested in renewing her obligation. That or we were going to change the law to this mandatory three-year term. <laughs> You can't do the everybody step back or thing. Now we did that before, but it's really not nice. <laughs> I just thought I'd toss that yeah. in. It's hard well, to get volunteers for anything nowadays. And that's true. You, you know, if I look at my son and his friends, like my son doesn't even want to go over to his friends' houses. They sit on computers. You know, he's on his computer here. They're on their computer there. They're playing games. You know, you know, they get invited over for a slumber party. He doesn't want to go. It's like, why do I want to go? I'd sleep in my own bed and I do everything here. We, we've actually looked at this before, even when we go do our after-dive, you know, BS and talk and get the soup and coffee. Uh-huh. It's hard for the people who have iPads or iPhones not to do something with their iPhone while we're sitting around the table. You know, maybe we need to come up with something that every time you check your phone, you owe a dollar. Well, no, what they do, <laughs> uh, some groups I've heard, everybody puts their iPhone in the middle. The first one to pick it up pays for supper or dinner or lunch. That's an idea. Yeah, you retire. This this is from retired guys who don't have work calling. Not necessarily retired guys. Come on. <laughs> I go down to the Hunans down here, and with, with those who are still in the working group, and I swear you just look around you. If you've got an iPad or iPhone, they've got it in their freaking hand on the table. Well, Next time you go to any restaurant, look mm-hmm. around, and the younger they are, the more they've got that. Well, how about the the cup the people who are on a date? And both of them have cell phones in their hands texting. Yeah, each other, maybe. <laughs> no, I don't think they're texting each other. It's probably crib notes, you know, like everybody's going, what's he doing? What's he saying? They're scouting out their Facebook pads to find out what they did. Yeah. Mm. Well, this one high school, at least they're doing something else other than that. Old Saybrook High preps for a submarine race. 
Students at the high school are getting ready for their international submarine race that's held in Bethesda, Maryland in this June 2015. The race happens every other year. They said it's a very eclectic group, all ages, freshmen through seniors, some kids who want to be pilots, some kids who want to be support staff, some want to be mechanics. The submarine is called Jesse. It's pedal-powered, built by students like Peter Blank, a junior who also plans to pilot the sub in the race. I have a passion for engineering. I've always had this since I was a little boy. It's been very exciting seeing this all come together. It's not just a sub, it's our team. We're helping each other out. Old Saybrook is one of the only high schools participating in the event. They go against other students from 30 colleges and universities from all over the world. Students must be scuba certified, physically fit, and able to push the sub through the water. Last time they participated, they placed eighth. And I bet there was no texting. I just remember in my days when they said that, I don't think they were talking about the same thing either. The submarine races? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been to a few of those. Yeah, well, that's what I, when I first saw the article, I'm like, okay, what are the kids doing these days? That's a submarine race. Hey, they're actually racing a submarine. Yeah. Drive-in theaters are the way to go. Yeah. Now, this next one, I am sure that Mac will have something to say about this one. This one is out of Maine. It was on the seacoastonline.com website. On October 23rd, the Wells Reserve held the fourth and final presentation regarding the rights of public beach access and private ownership of Maine's 3,500 miles of coastline. A speaker for the evening included former Maine Supreme Court Justice Daniel Wathan and environmental attorney Adam Steinman. And they discussed many issues uh, based on it. But the, the one that I thought that was interesting is they talked about the uh, the judgments, the way it's going to change. Uh, Maine, it sounds like the Supreme Court will make rulings, but only on a specific case. And they try to avoid them being overarching. So they just make single rulings. Uh, in Maine, they have a law which was established in the 1600s. Let's see. They say they give the exact year. They have a law so that, uh, let's see here. I was reading through it, and I couldn't exactly figure out what the heck they're, what, what are they saying? Well, what it is is that Marie, uh, Maine's had a common law, and there was a colonial ordinance that was enacted in 1647. And 1647 is what the justices or the state has been ruling on what the law is. So... They're going back some time, and what the law is is for the access to the beach. And I'm trying to find the exact wording here in the article, but there were three activities that Maine allows, which is a little bit different than Michigan because Michigan uh, got its underwater ruling from the United States since it wasn't existing as a as a territory before the f- formation of the United States. Right, here fishing, say, fouling, fish. or navigation. navigation. Yep. So it's fishing, fouling, or navigation, and then. In a 2011 case, the Supreme Court ruled involving the rights of scuba divers. They successfully argued that scuba diving is a form of navigation and a unanimous 6-0 to zero vote. So that means if you're scuba diving, you can use the beach as access to get to the water as part of your navigation activity. So I think what that the original intent was, if you had a boat and you land the boat in the beach, you could cross the beach to get to public areas or vice versa for the form of navigation. Uh, but I think with that, so now what's fouling? Shooting ducks, geese. Okay. So, you, so you're allowed to hunt birds, must be what they mean by fouling. So you can hunt birds, you can navigate, or you can fish. That's that's kind of nice. Yeah, Michigan laws are a little bit different. 
But the whole thing is still up in the air to me because it says to access the beaches below privately owned land. Now, if you're seaborne, that's not an issue. But no. you can't go on private property to get to the beach to get to the water level, you know, the high water level. You sure? If I've got private property and I got a fence up and you come over my fence to get to the beach so you can get into the water, the high water mark, obviously that's illegal. Right. But your fence cannot exceed the high water mark. Your, your fence can't go to, yeah, into the high water mark, can it? But that's not the part I see is if you're already on a beach and you're walking across a beach and you're in the high water, that's not a problem because you, you're already on open you know, territory. Right. The water. Yeah, but I you can't go through somebody's yard to get to the no. beach, to get to the water. But what I guess what they're saying is like I can't go walk along the beach and then go, hey, this is a great place for a picnic or a volleyball game because that's not one of those activities. You know, I can navigate to it, I can fish or shoot birds, but I can't do other activities. I can't set up a shed. I can't throw a tent. Right. Even even here in Michigan, if you're walking down the beach. You can go through that area, the high water mark, but you cannot loiter, have your party like you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's. I, I can see that. Yeah. Well, and that, and they're trying to, they're, they're trying to get the laws. I don't know if they're trying to get them changed, but I, I think this is the stuff that the old colonies tend to have more of is that you've got pre-existing laws and some of them are common laws that have been interpreted over and over and over for hundreds of years. So there must be another popular interpretation or actual law. So they're, in one yeah, case... They were, they were saying it's unique to the beach, which to me means the area, the population, the density. Mm -hmm. Interesting, but it's still a little confusing. Yeah, and they said in one case, uh, a justice argued that public rights to the shorelines of Maine existed as common law before the colonial ordinance. Yeah, see, plaintiffs argued a case that they vacated lower court's ruling in February, however... Wow. Yeah, some of this is getting into you. You got to almost be a, a, an attorney to to follow it. But the way I look at it, if I if I come out in the water, I can flounder around on the, the on the shore for a moment. And how about this? Sunken tugboats emerges with a story. Just seems like a lot of money, a lot of effort for no purpose. I figured that's what you were going to get at. The sunken tugboat emerges. Uh, Thomas Donovan had been uh, fascinated by the Murphy, an old Navy tugboat that sank in Quartermaster Harbor in 2007. The attorney living in Tacoma went scuba diving there, often exploring the Murphy's hallways, sea life growing on it. He researched the 70-year-old tug's history, wrote an article about it in The Beachcomber. When he was married in 2009, there was only one place to hold the wedding reception. It was on a, flotation, a flotilla of boats above the Murph. Last week, the 110-foot tugboat was raised from the water to a two-day effort by the State Department of Natural Resources. They considered a boat to be a hazard. It's tough to see it go, but so much for the diving community. We miss it so well, Donovan said, but it's for the better and greater good. Yeah, you can love that when they when you hear the term greater good. Uh, it was the fifth sunken boat that the DNR derelict vessel removal program, which is funded by those boater registration fees that people pay, removed the Quartermaster Harbor since the summer of last year. But those involved in retrieval say this tug is unique in its large size and the time it's spent underwater. We normally don't pull out the ones that have been down this long. The Murphy was abandoned and sank in shallow water near the mouth of the Quartermaster Harbor in 2007. Now, okay, so it was abandoned and sank. They they can't, they say they don't, is it possible you don't know who owned? Yeah, they do. Boat was sold by the Navy in 1985, went through several owners, including Seattle Central Community College. Last owner, an Olympic man, abandoned it in Quartermaster around 2007. So make him pay, bring the damn thing up. I mean, it, that's what you would think. You would, you would think so. 
I just abandoned it and sunk it. Oops. So here's what happened is that on Tuesday, November 4th, they brought in a crane that cost the state $622,000, including the cost to salvage a boat, the scrap metal. Okay, so here's the first thing. That was a stupid, ridiculous amount to pay. And okay, if it's a navigation hazard, it's been underwater. If it's not leaking, could you floated some lift bags on it, towed it to another spot and sank it there? And if the comment was leaking, how much is leaking? Because most of the fuel would have been dissipated without creating these massive pools of petroleum that ensnared, you know, birds and stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's ways you could evacuate. The, you could have done it a heck of a lot more cost effective. And you could have ended up with something that people could scuba dive on. Yeah, because it was buoyed. You know where it was. So how was it a navigation hazard? Yeah. And a historical wreck. I mean, in Michigan, this would have been great. A 100-foot tugboat. Yeah. Well, we know where there's a tug, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think they sunk it on purpose, he said. They probably were careless in the way they were cutting out the valves. Well, what? You're cutting out valves? Okay, let me see. There's this. The, the Ferris said with the state she's unsure exactly how the MRF sank, but is also likely that as parts removed from the tug, it ultimately sprang a link and sank. Oh, you're kidding me. If you cut a hole in the bottom of a boat, it sinks? One person posed on the Seattle area diving forum that the Murphy was clearly scuttled. It was apparent the doors and windows had been tied open. Hmm. I just like to always say there are time capsules from a different era of history. Give me a break. Well, how yeah, many? 2007. Yeah. yeah. And you look at the tug. It's a freaking wreck. Well, and in 2007, if it was that important, it would have been a heck of a lot cheaper to just you know dry dock it, park it next to a museum, and let it rot there. Well, they just removed an ecological habitat for fish. Yeah. But it was a navigational hazard. Yeah, I, I like my idea. I think they should have just towed it out somewhere and sunk it there. Yeah. I mean, you sense. already had it. It was pretty well waterlogged. I mean, any, any I'm you know, it wasn't clean for asbestos, but it's already in the water. It's, you know, asbestos is fine there. Oh, well. Then scientists discover a 1982 shipwreck in Monterey Bay. Oh, that's a historic sucker. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> well, you know those 80s. Guess depending on who you are, you might not remember them. Yeah, one mile beneath the surface. That's probably a hazard navigation, too. <laughs> Scientists exploring the Monterey Canyon found a shipwreck in the seafloor, Santa Cruz Coast. Vessel appeared first on sonar images. Research geologist of the U.S. Geological Survey was struck by some sharper angles that captured the image after taking a closer look, spotted the barge. Video images of the vessel captured by an unpiloted submarine sent to the seafloor to show the ship as the Umpqua 2. Well, I'm glad it wasn't the Umpqua 1. Uh, that was from Reedsport, Oregon, grounded outside the Moss Landing in 1982, sunk more than one mile beneath the surface of the ocean, 12 miles southwest of Santa Cruz. You know, I'm pretty sure when I listed this, I misread it. I must have been late at night, and I thought it said 1882. <laughs> 1982 just doesn't sound that impressive, does it? Nope. But anytime you can cover a ship bell, that's pretty cool. So the bell was recovered from the Franklin shipwreck. This one out of Ottawa. The brass bell from the HMS Erebus, one of the two dim, doomed, dimmed, doomed ship from the Franklin expedition that came in search of the Northwest Passage, now in the hand of scientists in Ottawa. Sealed in a freshwater glass container, the bell was unveiled by the environment minister. Oh, my gosh. I want you to draw. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to pronounce uh, I, I think I've got the first name. That's <laughs> Leona Aglukak. And that's... I, it sounds like you're strangling somebody. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had a bad case of Aglukak on my ankle, but, you know, there's an ointment for it. 
The bell was found in mid-September, shortly after the Erebus was discovered at the bottom of the ocean while corroded on the on the inside. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess it would be crowed inside. Clearly visible markings the outside of the bell include the year of 1845, an arrow symbol signifying the bell was property of the British Royal Navy. It is believed that Sir John Franklin died, was lost some 168 years ago. Other artifacts are found around the site, but have been left there until dive teams can resume the inspection of the sunken vessel again next year, because we'll have some more grant money. Only then, they say, can any other historical clues from the artifact be revealed. Say what? Yeah. Well, this was the one, wasn't this, where the, the they never found... Well, they didn't they didn't National Geographic have a story about the cruise that the boats... Because they're looking for the Northwest Passage. Uh, they got a little bit farther. They, they sat there for almost a year. And then next summer, the ice didn't release the boat, so then they walked. Yeah. And then... Uh, they died, and they wasn't there like lead poisoning or something. They found the bodies frozen, the yeah, permafrost. They're, they're, back then, the uh, tin cans you had your food in it had lead solder mm-hmm. tainted the food, and that's why so many people up when they went up on these expeditions died. Turned out they were poisoning themselves. But it was tasty while they were doing it. I like to find a bell like that, though. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful bell. Well, how about this next one? Underwater archaeologist diver explores shipwrecks off the Jersey coast. And then that first photo there of the cannon, that's uh, Dan Lieb. He checks on the preservation of the uh, of a, was that, Cornade, a short, smoothbore ship's cannon. We're in Jim's neck of the woods now. Yeah. Yep. Of course, Jim must know everybody in New Jersey. Everybody. Yep. The L-shaped configuration, New Jersey, Long Island coastlines, the narrow entrance to the... Raritan and Hudson Rivers and the strong onshore winds of the hurricanes and northeasters made sailing perilous in the early 20th century. Jersey Coast was once called the Graveyard Atlantic. There's about 5,000 known shipwrecks off the Jersey coastline, but only about 500 have been documented. So it's a nice article going on to some of the stuff he does. And he's got a presentation as part of BBC's Science Monday Lectures. That would look good on the coffee table in the living room. I would use it for a coffee table. I'd put some glass on top of it. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody's there. Put a bunch of cannonballs under it for legs. And then how's this? We're going to have to give somebody a little bit of grief because he didn't go and inform us. We're always the last to know somehow. Ross Richardson, who we've had on the show before, was a busy guy this summer. And one of the things is to look where other, everybody else hasn't looked. So he uncovered wrecks this summer in waters around the small island of uh, Sil, uh, Skill Agley, which is an island between island. Beaver Island and the northern lower peninsula in the community of Cross Village. What's that, Mac? It's nice that he, I think the major item Ross did, though, is he, he made a point to identify where they're at and to try to identify what wrecks they were. They were not necessarily unknown, but nobody's ever taken the time like he is to document that stuff. Yeah. Well, they they put a, a, a lighthouse on the island because people kept running into the darn thing. So it goes to make sense that there would have been stuff. And many of these shipwrecks had been salvaged, meaning boilers were taken off and anything of value that could be gathered was taken. Uh, he says, I was looking for wrecks that haven't been discovered and have a decent list of known positions. 
this according to Richardson. He said the last place in Lake Michigan where there's a concentration of shipwrecks that are undiscovered but somewhat obtainable. He prepped for the season of diving shallow wrecks with a search during the winter. He believes the discoveries include the remains of a 226-foot sidewheel steamer called O.D. Patchen. It sank in 1850. Although he hasn't been able to uh, prove the identity, he's making an educated guess based on the size wreck and its location. The sinking of the A.D. Patchen prompted the construction of the lighthouse on the island to warn crews of the nearby reef. The wreck is below about 30 to 35 feet of water. He found four of the wreck sites during the three trips to the island and believes that one of his other discoveries, the largest of the wreck sites within the greatest amount of artifacts present, is the wreck of the 150-foot Julia Dean. The captain blamed the ship's 1855 sinking on Beaver Island pirates. The three other wrecks remain unidentified. And then then there's uh, some details, I don't know if it was this article or another one, where it was the Mormons who were on the island were disputing the captain's claim that they were luring him to his disaster. How would you lure him to a disaster? You put him in these little outfits that look like mermaids, and they sing <laughs> little harps, and you lure them to the hotel. I, I don't picture there's a bunch of Mormon women out there <laughs> doing doing a siren song and dance to get ships to beach themselves. But, you know. Possibility, you know. I mean, could it, it happen that way? It's the like, 1850s. They, they would put false lights up. Yeah. So, so people thought they were someplace else. Well, I, I have heard that happening down in Florida, that they what they called them the wreckers, where they would do that. They'd have uh, lights marking uh, channels, and they would duplicate them in other spots so that people would run aground, and then they would kill the crew and salvage the wrecks. But I haven't really heard that in Michigan. Not saying that Michigan would be above stuff like that, but... So we'll have to get Ross on, have him uh, give us some yeah. updates on his discoveries. You're right. We need to get him on and have some updates. I like that. Yeah, because I, I haven't heard anything more in the Westmoreland. I mean, that would be one I would still be on my bucket list to dive. Mm. A little deeper than what I'm rated to go, but that would, might be a good good one to justify some training. Fitzgerald. Let's do the Fitzgerald. Nah. Yeah. that's And done before, Scuba. We can, too. Now, now speaking of that, did you see that... Uh, I mean, it's for another part of the show, but did you see that uh, link I sent earlier in the week with the, the 360 camera? Yes. Yeah, saw that. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that we need to do something with that. I would love to. I don't I don't need, you can't even get the camera yet. Well, I and, was going to do four GoPros, but same difference. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is all stitched together and they've got software and everything for it. So mm. what you do is you film it and then you put on one of these Oculus headsets and as you're watching the movie, you can turn your head and see all the way around. So could you imagine doing like a, you know, especially if we put it in ROV, have the ROV go down mm-hmm. the length of a shipwreck. And yep. as you're watching it, you just turn. I mean, and you could even have it to where people could self-tour, you know, decide their speed. You know, they could mm-hmm. go forward and back and look around. And you do that with a 3D moving your shark biting the guy from the back? Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I think that does it for Scuba and the News. That's, we, we had a long one this week. A lot of news. A lot of news. And then let's see this photo, those photos. I can't. Some of these are from two weeks ago. Crud. I just did it again. Overpasted. Oh, I, I got dyslexia clicking. So this is Drowned Towns. Ghost cities that lie beneath Alabama's man-made lakes. Dozens of small communities submerged between Alabama's man-made lakes 
some homes, road buildings, and even submerged graveyards when Alabama Power and Tennessee Valley Authority flooded thousands of acres to create power and recreational sources. Not much remains, and they said it's for a very good reason, safety, ensuring that waters are navigatable, free hazard. Most of those who built the dams created the many lakes. Some communities are now completely lost, just notations in history books. Others survived, at least in part, as tiny lakeside towns, a few examples. Well, the club has done that before, you know. What's that? Built that kind of place called Dale Hollow Reservoir. You're talking back in the day. Uh-huh. It's on uh, the Kentucky-Tennessee border by the OB River. And back when they first flooded that, you could go into the village underwater. Nowadays, it's shot to heck because you get air bubbles into the roof, and after it gets decayed, it falls in. Oh. It's got a rubble of, you know, sticks and stuff, and you got the asphalt from the roof and all that kind of jingles. Mm-hmm. But when they first did it, it was quite interesting. And they claimed to have actually removed all the bodies from the cemetery before they did that. But as we all know, that's not always practical and possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they moved what they could get to. Yeah. But the pictures, some of these pictures in here are really cool. And I hear noises, but I don't know where the noise is from. Would you hear noises on what? Sounded like water dripping or something. Oh, must be on yours. Well, no videos this week, but we do have some potentially cool scuba gear in the news. Kind of a collection of them. We got Dima's come, we're on the, coming up, so some are pre-announcements, I'm sure. This next one's out of California Diver Magazine. And they, they had a press release announcing that West Marine is getting into the scuba diving market. We used to have a West Marine retailer here in the area, but they'd since closed shop. Uh, the Marine retailer West Marine announced the company has launched a full in-store dive retail program in Florida and an on-live, online dive experience nationwide. They've partnered with Mayor Scuba Gear, Scuba School International, which is SSI, and Guardian Scuba Instruction. West Marine is offering customers in Jacksonville and North Palm Beach three of the key components of a full dive center, recreational, appropriate dive products, full range, SSI scuba classes, and services such as tank fills. The new dive product assortment, which also includes, is available and online at westmarine.com, includes dive computers, gauges, regulators, buoyancy control devices, wetsuits, tanks, and accessories. We are excited to have a de- uh, developed strategic partnership with credible industry experts to help us introduce the world of scuba diving to a whole new set of customers. Our online experience speaks to beginner, can start to open water class, a free online enthusiast who can watch dive videos on Dive TV. I wonder if they mean by Dive TV. I wonder if they got some sort of channel. I wonder what that's saying uh, for Mayor Scuba Gear if they've start if they're embracing the online approach because you know two two stores of dive gear doesn't qualify as a chain I would think. I wouldn't think so. So that's telling me that Mayor's has given up on their dive shops, going, you know what, you guys aren't selling enough. We're done with you here in West Marine. See what you can do. And then the new the U.S. Navy and we've covered this one in the past is getting some brand new mini subs. What they're doing is they're looking for subs to uh, act as launching points for the Navy SEALs. Now, I was having, you know, the article goes on and on, but is this that, oh, it's, they're showing the USS Ohio with a dry deck shelter installed. It's like the one they used to use, the Japanese did. They put their seaplanes in it mm-hmm. so they could launch them off the submarines, recover them, and then put them back in it. Yeah. So, but I don't think that's what they're talking about here. They're actually talking about mini subs. Or is that where the subs would go? That's a that's a dry that's a container there. Right. That way you can carry bulky items you couldn't put in below decks. You could carry mini subs, DPVs, all sorts of stuff there. Yeah, so they talk about uh, launching the undersea vehicles, getting them back in the confines of the metal enclosure. Right now, divers must manually open and close the outside hatch to get the uh, SDVs out. Crews will then have to dive 
drive the craft back into shelter without any extra help at the end of the mission underwater and likely near total darkness. They're trying to automate this process with any luck. The new undersea chariots and other ships will carry them will be ready by 2020. Like you have one of the Navy DPVs, that's all I can say. Yeah. We can, a, couple, a couple of coins. Yeah, we could do some stuff with those. Mm. Jim, you can see any of those pop up on your websites? Haven't seen any lately. So here we've got uh, this one from Discovery.com. Digital scuba mass features heads-up display. So if you imagine the Google glasses stuck inside a dive mask, that's what they've got going on here. They said it's currently in development. Crowdfunded site is scheduled to launch November 10th. The Scubus S looks to be an alternative to high-tech pro scuba systems. Most notable features, built-in heads-up display. It shows time, depth, water temperature, and a limited chat function for communicating with other divers. Now, why does that model in the picture need one of these? Because I'd rather see her there than Darren or you or uh, Jim or you. <laughs> that's, that's what I kind of figured. And then a new BCD is being announced by Aquas. This is a press release. Oh, they're saying a hands-free buoyancy control device. Yep, they say they have Aquas has developed a hands-free buoyancy control device which allows a diver to maintain buoyancy efficiently without having to expend a tremendous amount of physical energy with only two controls, the valve and the exhaust. People will find it much easier to learn how to scuba dive. What the heck is it? Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. What is... What's the difference? <laughs> yeah. Well, we the, ours are called inflator and deflator. This is now called a valve and exhaust. Oh, not that we have a valve and exhaust, right? <laughs> yeah. See, it's it's much more better that way. And it's going to make it tremendous amounts of physical energy. <laughs> as a, Excuse me? As a certified scuba instructor for 15 years, the inventor of the device, Ben Harvey of Wichita, Kansas, it's had first-hand experience with the frustrations beginners have with buoyancy. It's a constant battle. There's a limit to what someone new in scuba is willing to try before becoming frustrated and giving up on a sport. Mike Miller, Da Vinci Systems, has streamlined and simplified the new unit. Miller learned to dive using the new product and could not imagine difficulties of learning through a different system. Technology has drastically expanded scuba dive industries. Entry market frustration barriers all but eliminated for beginners, and this will turn help individuals interested in active and recreational scuba diving world. So what okay. did they call it when everybody was diving with, with horse collars? and? I, I'm just curious about the tremendous energy expanded. And have you ever heard of somebody quitting a diving class because they had problems with buoyancy control? Ears and clearing, absolutely. But buoyancy control? Yeah. The device Harvey and his colleagues created helps people control their buoyancy more intuitively using lung volume and natural body position. It is all hands-free. He initially proved out his idea of the device by engineering custom parts and fabricating a prototype of his house after initial reviews from equipment manufacturers decided it was time to create a company designed for manufacturing and take the product to market. He's teamed up with Da Vinci System, Rapid PSI out of Wichita, Kansas, and formed Aquas LLC with the help of 3D printing. A new company was able to do multiple revisions and streamline the product in a smaller, more reliable unit. I, 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 I don't understand how this is different than anything else. I, I'm still confused about the tremendous amount of energy expanded. Yeah. Well, Come on, Jim. Pipe yeah. up. I haven't heard any comments. No comment. <laughs> if it's that difficult, you know, if you can't keep track of it, you shouldn't be diving. Well, you're no fun at all. Yeah. When, when I first looked at this, I was thinking it was almost like they were somehow had a regulator built in, and it was detecting pressure and then compensating, saying, oh, well, you've gone up, so I need to adjust this or that. But if you're properly weighted, you don't need 
a whole lot of change in your BCD anyway. Right. So Well, you're going to put some in it depending on your depth. Yeah. And the compression of your suit. Right. Well, which is side effect of your depth. But yeah, I just don't see how that's any different than what we already have, which is pretty freaking simple. I'm looking at that diagram and that looks complicated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and I think that does it for scuba in the news. Two weeks condensed into one. Was it worth it? Maybe not. <laughs> well, so let's talk about something a little bit more exciting, diving. Now, let's see. It's been two weeks. So what happened two weeks ago? Who who went diving out there? I think everybody except you went diving. I think so. I think yeah, I think you're right. What were they, river dives that you were doing? I hit the river a couple times. And I got last week, I think it was three three times. Oh. And I think Jim got in there once with Mary Beth. No, no, with Kevin. Kevin, yeah. Mary Beth and I, I think that was, well, that was two weeks ago. Yeah, Mary Beth and I hit the river two weeks ago, and then I hit the river with Kevin and found a sweet spot that we have to go back to because I've got a, left a pile of bottles there that I couldn't bring up because I had too many. I don't think you're going to find them now. Don't think so? No. Somebody been there behind me? I, I don't know. I'm not going to comment. I think it's probably due to the swift current in that area now. Oh, from very, from this dusting fast. of snow melting? Yes, all the runoff, they're, they're all gone probably now. Mm. Well, I had them all piled up for somebody. I'm sure they appreciate it, whoever they might be. I'm sure they'd share, you with, share with pictures. Oh, I haven't seen any yet. So how many Christmas Cokes were in there? None. I pulled the Cokes out. <laughs> the next one to look for now is the December 15th. There's one before that one now that's uh, a good one to get just because you can. Yeah, you got to fill out that set for everybody who's got everything. Well, I didn't realize there was over 1,600 different bottles like that based on the names on the bottom, the individual states and or areas within a state. Is that kind of like mint marks on pennies? I don't know. The the one guy has collected 1,400 of them, so he's got 200 and something to go, and he'll have one that every one of everyone that has been produced. And if you look at the pictures of his house, he lives Coca-Cola. <laughs> he used to work at Coca-Cola. Yes, that is correct. Well, that's not necessarily it's, it's a bad thing. It's not a habit, it's an addiction, he said. Now, how much Coke does he drink? Did they say that? I don't know how he could afford to buy <laughs> I mean, where would you display 16 or 1,400 bottles just with the the bottom labels on? Uh, that would be quite a bit. I mean, I'm sure you get a good density, but after a while, you would, I think after your first four or 500. I did learn a few items, all talking about bottles for a second. When you get those grody bottles that have silk screen on them, yeah. Do not clean them. Will you let them dry out? If Whatever you do, don't clean them. A crapped up bottle with one-fourth or more of the silk screen or the paper label is worth is 90% more valuable than if you clean it. Hmm. Now, no. if it's an embossed bottle, you can clean it, but don't roll it and get the scratch marks because if you get the scratches or swirls in it, you can tell you've done that. So, again, in that case, natural is better. But I didn't know that about the, the labels. Then you say natural. So it, if it's dirty and it's a quarter visible, but then you clean it and it's a quarter visible, the dirty is worth more? Most times I said you can't clean the dirty without taking away some of the screen. And that's the value is that even he was saying collectibles, clean ones, excuse me, that have had the, the labels removed or more removed are not as valuable as the dirty ones with more label. And they said 25% or greater. Yeah, so what they're saying is don't sacrifice some of the label trying to clean it. Yes. Is really the point. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, well, then in uh, the chat room, St. Louis Sam is saying uh, 
as you're displaying your bottles, you might find a divorce in the bottom of the 500th bottle. I, I didn't mention whether or not the guy was married or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you got a whole lot of room when you don't have you don't have a wife to deal with. <laughs> so how many bottles did we have on that trailer the last time I counted? Well, that's probably how he ended up with so many bottles. You know, he didn't have somebody tell him to pick them all up and... Yeah, you, know, you just have to have room for the pizza boxes. I have purged my bottle collection at least four times. Let's see. So, but if, those were, if those were bottles of booze and he drank five hundred, I could probably see just cause. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it'd be so fun emptying them sometimes. Now, you you got some diving real recently, Mac. Did you do some? Uh, was it the pawpaw you were in? Oh, you mean today? Yeah. Yeah, we went up to uh, Sagatuck down by the Oxbow where uh, Kevin has relocated that one particular wreck. And uh, we want to go back out one more time and try to get some measurements to see if it can confirm that it is, in fact, the wreck he's talking about. And now it was actually salvaged back there when it sank in uh, 1907. Take that back, 1904. Uh, They took the the wheel off. It looks like when they took the anchor and the anchor chain. And then they dove it again in 1932. And that's when I think they got the ship's wheel off of it. And you'll notice it wasn't a wooden one. It was an iron wheel. And nobody's really worked with it since then. And partly because I think it's not navigatable. You can't navigate it very well now, even with a freaking kayak. Now, you said this was, you said Pawpaw, but isn't it the Kalamazoo River? It's a Pawpaw River, as I recollect. I'd have to double check. I may be misspeaking there. Sorry about that. I thought it was Muskegon. Because you're talking, this is the one that goes through by between Saugatuck and Douglas? Yeah. That's a Kalamazoo River. Excuse me then. Yeah. I'm and the only reason I know is because I lived on it for a number of years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, I just say Pawpaw since that's the one we're dorking with most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's the Oxbow. Was that between the uh, the marina and the lake? It used to have an access right up where the pier comes in. There's an access point that used to be viable there. Uh-huh. And now it's more sand came up and sort of filled it up. Uh-huh. They wanted to. It wouldn't be a big deal to make a, a channel through there. You know, I'll have to ask because my dad. I mean, that's where he grew up. He grew up on Sagatuck, and that's where he learned how to scuba dive. Was actually there as well. So I'll have to ask him what he knows about that because I would. I would have to bet that there's got to have been somebody on there since the 30s. But you never know. Uh, he, he he used to tell me about because uh, before it was Sagatuck, it was called Singapore. Yep. And there's actually buildings that are buried in the sand dunes. Yeah, fish town. Yeah. When it that's, when the that's dunes upstream of that's upstream of where the boat is. Yes. And there and there's rumored to be more than one boat that is also got caught in that. Yep. And the gentleman whose property we were able to use has said the same thing. Yeah. Now was that because uh, some of that's kind of tough because you got to get permission. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was a friend of my grandfather's. Was it DeVos. No, I don't know. I know there's a uh, there's a really interesting billionaire that owns a lot of the property down there, and he won't let anybody on his prop- properties. Yeah, yeah, he he won't. And I I I could ask my dad because he probably knew him or something. But it's one of those things where if he did get a shot at it, you'd have one shot, and that would be it. Yeah, but it was interesting. We did have ice skim ice on the lakes going up and around the shoreline. We had some ice, uh, but they had white caps. It was a little blizzardy. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't bad. Now, now where did you where did you launch out of? Uh, the guy had actually made us until we could access right there by his beach. Oh, we that's nice. Should have turned around when we parked though, because you open up the back and the snow had blown through the entire vehicle. Yeah. The the tough thing about diving out of Sogtuck is the boat ramp to the lake. That's a like a twenty thirty minute motor 
at no yeah. wake speeds. That's not a quick. And I know I used to travel that a lot as a kid riding with my grandfather, but that was, it never seemed that long. As an adult, that seems a painfully long trip. I, I, It's going to be an interesting place to dive. The shoreline would be nice. That had a lot of traffic in there. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of shipwrecks in the river that were wrecks that were just left. They were just, right. Put them to the embankment, let them rot and sink. Yeah. Well, that's my... Derelicts. Yeah, my grandfather had the marina there, Sagatuck Marine. He set that up, and that's what they would do. I mean, the boat owner. I mean, there were there were two or three tugboats that just sank. They they used them till they weren't good anymore. They would park them up in the river in kind of the marshlands, and they'd anchor them. And when they needed to part, they would drive out to the boat, take a part off, go back in, and you know, after years and years of that, then someday the boat's no longer above water and. Yeah, it sinks and joins the rest of the marsh. And that's just how it was. And then there was lots of boats that were accidents, people out playing and they sank. But that has gotten really shallow. Last time I was there with Bob and Kirk, uh, we got stuck two or three times in what should have been, you know, navigatable channel. Well, the area we were in went from knee high to about 19 feet really, really quick. And the deepest part was 35 out there in the middle. Wow. With a heavy, heavy, heavy overburden, they could put your arm all the way down up to your armpit. And it didn't touch anything. Wow. Yeah. Now yeah. See, they had the the USS Kowatin got pulled out of there just a couple of years ago. So I wonder if they had to do any dredging to get that out. Yes, they did. Okay. So that could have that could be some of it because it doesn't seem like that should be that deep of a channel anymore. Because yeah. when they pulled the Kowatin out, they also uh, made a, made the followed the Kowatin with a uh, tug that had been sitting next to the Kowatin but got stuck because they tried to pull that out first. Yeah, yeah, that had been sitting there for a while. Yeah. I, and it, I can remember when we were up there, it was kind of half tilted on its side. Yeah, there's some yeah, big but, boats there in the marina, but uh, yeah, I don't know how long that's going to remain much of a river because uh, back where it used to be pretty wide open, uh, yeah, we lived on the river and I used to go down there and fish and boat and do all sorts of stuff, and it was wide and open. We went back a few years ago, and like you said, Mac, I don't know if a if a kayak could navigate some of these spots now was it it may be better now with the, with the water levels being a little higher well the reason reason you can't get back there is uh they got a dredge at the mouth of the oxbow and he's got the barge and many 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 feet of hose stretched across the opening which inhibits anything getting in yeah and that was that was there when we were there a couple of years ago yep and still there which if somebody complained it's illegal but well yeah but that's probably some guy who probably has a dozen businesses and contributes to whoever so much so uh-huh yeah. and it's not used for anything anyway so yeah 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 you, you have to decide when you want to make a noise and when you don't and if you got the money to make the noise yeah so what's what's up on the plan for diving this week well let's see i'm available yeah i saw uh they're talking about lake 16 on sunday bob uh yeah yeah because the nuclear plants both units are in operation i read yeah i was too old to get a job there they were searching for divers last couple of days oh really oh yeah the uh wave action uh-huh uh, that's the worst it's been in over 20 years and back when they used to have the airways dale die-offs they clog up the screens well they had so much debris that was sucked into the intake uh-huh. damaged uh, about half their screens and they had to shut down both units because they couldn't have any surf water Oh, really? Yeah, so they were scrounging for divers to come out there and work. What, what were the qualifications? Breathing? 
Uh, no, you had to be younger than me. Damn it! Uh, you had to have a current diving physical. Oh, that would take, yeah. take me out. There were some. There were some limitations. Yeah, because I'm going to say, you know what? I'll if they're paying good money, I'll take some days off. I got three or four weeks at work built up, but yeah, I would trade some vacation time for some dive time. Well, that's not a lot of diving. You're in a four bay area with a sucker sucking the sand out, and then you're actually doing mechanical work of trying to change the screens. Yeah, that'd be. Fun. But I'd I would do that. Do it. I'd do that. Other than I'm not qualified, not don't have a physical. Now, what does it take for that physical? You just have to go to a uh, a dive doctor and. Yeah, nowadays to do that, you got to have a back X-ray series because so many people have back issues. So before you work for me, they're going to say, uh, "Let's prove you don't have a back problem first. Yeah. See, I'd be there. I'd be perfect for them because it's like the career I have now. I don't have to have a great back, so it's not like I'm need another career. But you have that broad shoulders for your job, right? Yeah. <laughs> now you just have to be able to catch shit is what it amounts to. Did I say that out loud? Yeah, we just bought another company this week, so we're going to have fun for the next year. They keep trying to drag you in to move into, to St. Louis or to Missouri anyway. No, well, we're actually, uh, you know, this is inside baseball, but uh, we're bringing half the equipment to Michigan and half to Missouri, it looks like. So Michigan plant's going to be getting quite a bit more work. It's a sad day for the people of Florida because uh, that's where the company was that went bankrupt after 70 years. But we're going to try to hire those that we can and that make a fit and get some new equipment out of the deal. They got some really nice equipment that we're going to be getting. I can really see the enticement leaving the sunny south, yeah. warm sunny weather yeah, we, to come we, up we, in Michigan. We were joking about that. <laughs> they were like, yeah, I said it's the wrong time of year. <laughs> we just had, you know, for for those who aren't aware, so what what's – well, we have the date is November 13th, and we had snow, an inch, I would say, depending on where you are. With Pre-show, we were talking about what South Bend had, what would you hear, Mac, three or four inches? Oh, they had, I heard they had six inches. Six inches. The Upper Peninsula, I've heard anywhere from 12 to 30 inches. Yeah. Uh, and we're supposed to have below freezing temperatures the next 10 days. Ice diving! We're, we're building up that, because... Now you're going to have some cold, chilly water, so visibility should be going up, I would say. Like I said, we had 10 foot today. Yeah, I I need to get some gloves. My gloves are not – I I've got the dry suit. I've probably got enough undergarments where I could struggle through a 30-minute dive, but I do not. I need to get some gloves. I, get, I got two fingers on each hand that numbs up really quick and my toes. Yeah. I don't care what I'm wearing. I got the woolies and all that crap. I think part of it is the, the constriction in the booty with the socks, putting in the cup of the fin must somehow squeeze the blood out of my toes because those suckers get cold no matter what I do. Yeah. So the only way I can limit that is to, to don't die for more than 1,500 pounds. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to try it. I, I need to try this new experience of cold water diving with the dry suit. problem is I feel like I've gained 20 pounds in the last month. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Jim, did you find out why yours was leaking? Yep, problem with the uh, zipper. It's leaking through the zipper. So now that you're working at the dive shop, though, you have some. Um, you could probably test out some suits, couldn't you? Well, I had one to test out today. Yeah. Well, that's right. You didn't go. That's right. I didn't go. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, you've in the event you do need stuff, you got key man discounts too now. Yeah, I got Kevin yeah. in my car. I'm giving that to uh, Ken to try out. Was Kevin getting rid of another dry suit? Well, the one he's got, the one I brought up for Ken to try on is uh, just a little tight on him. I don't remember which one it is. I know he dove with it once when I was with him. I know Sir Larry's looking for another suit, believe it or not. Wow. 
he's just not comfortable with the last one, so he's looking for a different one. Yeah. Well, we're, we're coming up on that time of year. We need to start coming up with our diverse Christmas gift ideas. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for more people to want to join us as God divers. You heard about that, right? No. Yeah, we're odd. ODD, old dogs diving. Oh. <laughs> well, the mug club qualifies for that without a name change. Just about. I, I'm still looking up a patch for the geriatric divers. Was that like got a walker with fins? I was thinking that Pops has got one for a diver in a rocking chair. I was trying to think of something a little different. Well, I was thinking, like, imagine the creeper you've got for river diving, yeah. but add about another two feet onto the legs, and now you've got a walker. That's not a bad idea. I'll have to think about that. Yeah, we'll do some drawings. It'll be in a T-shirt next week. Somebody will come out with it. So, Jim, you're interested in diving? Uh, oh, oh, you're working tomorrow. I'm working tomorrow. And plan to work on Saturday, and then Sunday I'm diving with the fire department. Sunday? Yeah, Sunday I'm, I have to dive with the fire department. Where are you diving? Uh, probably three or four different lakes. We're working. We've got to put some anchors down around the dry hydrants. Yeah, I remember you did that before, remember? Yeah, we've got to anchor the dry hydrants. Now, is that for the winter? Well, it's a project we've been wanting to do since summer. Oh. We just never <laughs> got around to it. It's cold and freezing. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 well, I mean, you're not fighting with the people doing fishing, but now, when's hunting season start? Sunday? Yeah. We'll, season, we'll, uh, we'll lose some people for hunting. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have a few guys who. Oh, we got a club on Tuesday. Tuesday. Yep. You're kidding me. It's a club already? Yeah. We went through a month already. Mm-hmm. I'll put out the newsletter either tonight or tomorrow morning. Well, I've been traveling or having meetings. I think I traveled three out of the last five weeks. Wow. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Well, I always got to have somebody with me now when I dive. Well, that I'm explains why I gained 20 pounds. Traveling. Right? Traveling. Yeah. How many steak dinners can in in let's see, prime rib? If can you did that traveling it? on a bicycle, you'd be really slim by now. If I did travel, I would be. I had a couple thousand. What were you saying about diving alone, Mac? I said, now that I have to use the dry suit and the ice stuff, i got to have two people to dive with instead of going solo. Yeah, somebody yeah. zip you. Somebody <laughs> zip you. Pain in the butt. Yeah. yeah. That is one of the nice things about a wetsuit. Yeah. I don't need anybody to dive with. Yeah. Well, I got to, I, like I said, I got to get some gloves, but I got to get some gloves and I, I, I got to get my tanks viz too, I think. I can look at them and say, hey, they look good. Yeah. It's that time of year. Jim can do that stuff for you. Yeah. Well, he's done yeah, it before. Bring it to the shop. Yeah, yeah, I have to, I have to do it. So, is Richard already gone now? Is he like f- no south? No, he he'll be around till first of the year. Oh, okay, that was nice. So I'm in, I'm in my training, my orientation and training. Oh. I thought you had to be in uh, Charleston in December. Uh, it got pushed back. Oh, that's good. Start out the new year fresh. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, I will be down there with him because I'm going to go shark teeth diving. Down oh, in we got to make some still, trips. Still think you ought to come over and come to work in the shop. Just have the mud club take it over. Heck, you got enough retired people. You could man it every day. That's it. Well, let's see. If you want to follow us, you can visit our website, www.scoobobsessed.com. We're also on facebook.com forward slash scoobobsessed. You can follow us on Twitter at scoobobsessed. If you have comments you want to leave for any of us, they get to us by sending an email to the show at scoobobsessed.com. You can hear us on WRVO Radio. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit WRVORadio.com online. On Stitcher, type in the keyword scuba on Stitcher and that will get you to our show. 
listen to us on iTunes. We love those five-star reviews. And if you visit the website, you can click on, boy, it's been a while since I've done it, but the About and place your pin in the fan map. Let us know where you are. We'd like to see where everybody is in their different locations. Let's see other websites we got. When you hear us talk about treasure, you want to check out mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. You can also check out the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve website, diveswmup.com. Correct. Wow, I got that one right. And I'm sure there's a few others. You know, some some other websites to check out. You want to check out the MSRA website, which I think was at shipwrecks.org or something. Something like that. Yep. You can search them. Uh, also, Diver Sync, it's another podcast. If you can't get enough of listening to people talk about scuba diving, you can listen to Rich Sinewick on Diver Sync, and we'll give him a plug for his uh, his dive shop, uh, Divers Incorporated, out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I think he's got an, a second location as well. Taylor, Michigan. Taylor, just around the corner from him. Let's see. Anybody got anything else to plug? Not this month. Let's see. So... I think that takes us to that time of the show. Are you ready? Ever ready. Let's see. Scroll all the way down here. And Rod strikes again. He's got another joke. And this one sounds familiar, but, you know, we're, I, it's probably just enough different. We'll give it a shot. A diver was shipwrecked up onto a lonely and tropical shore. As he stood up, he noticed his hands were purple. He looked at his feet, and they were purple. Worriedly, he unzipped his wetsuit. And his chest and his stomach were purple. With his head in his hands, he cried, Oh my God, I've been marooned. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I don't even know how else to describe that. That's just bad. It's just a colorful joke. <laughs> Yes, it is. I think a foghorn would be an appropriate sound effect for after that joke. Yeah, we'll we'll have to look for one. We'll we'll have to break some of that stuff out. Until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And don't take any more crayfish than what you're supposed to. Recording has been completed. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention. <laughs> okay, what's that? <laughs> Saturday. Yes. Uh, sh- it's a shipwreck show in uh, Sandusky. Oh, you know I didn't. We didn't bring that one up because I thought it had already passed. No, I think it's this weekend. Next week, yeah. So yeah. So what's the date? We'll add this to the end of the the podcast. So we'll hear shipwrecks and scuba in Sandusky, November fifteenth. Right. That's got to be one of the last shows of the year, or the first show of the season. I'm not sure which. Only if you're talking local. Yeah.